Hello folks, Edith here. Thank you very much indeed for choosing to listen to Soundtrack in my weekly podcast where I talk about film and music. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, I am actually just back from the homeland, from Scotland, where I was thrilled to be asked to host the Scottish Music Awards, which were held at the world-famous Glasgow Battlelands. Uh, it was a night of celebration and also... Um, a night of fundraising because the night is all in aid of the wonderful Nordoff Robbins, uh, which if you're not familiar with the work that Nordoff Robbins do, they are a music therapy charity and it's invaluable what they do. It really, really is. And we raised a lot of money, which was the purpose of the night and absolutely brilliant. I did have a slight personal mental moment where I was um, side of stage and Rod Stewart was the recipient. Uh, now, I know you're thinking Scottish Music Awards, Rod Stewart... He's not technically Scottish. His dad's Scottish. Uh, was born in Leith, so he's very, very proud and connected to his Scottish roots. Anyway, uh, he was sort of sat at the side of the stage watching his band perform a couple of his songs. In the end, he got up and sang Maggie May, which was mental. But cut to a moment where he was sat on a seat next to me, and the pair of us were singing, "I wish that I knew what I knew. I know now." Seven years old, I went to my first ever concert with my mum. It was Rod Stewart at Ibrox Stadium. If you could have told a seven-year-old what had just happened, mind blown. Life is brilliant and weird. Anyway, anyone who knows me knows what that means. And you'll also know uh, that I'm a massive fan of what Disney Plus is doing with Star Wars world building from The Mandalorian to Obi-Wan Kenobi and or is the new series and it is no exception. Taking the franchise in, I would say, a totally different new direction with a lot of things. It's visual palette, it's narrative pacing and kind of Orwellian undertones. So I was genuinely thrilled to spend a bit of time with the show creator, Tony Gilroy, who also wrote Rogue One, which of course has a connection with this whole story. Now, Andor is scored by our old friend, the wonderful... Nicholas Brattel, and it seems only right we begin with his title theme. Tony? I'm very well. How's your day so far? Uh, calm so far. Calm <laughs> nice. But I got like three hours of press, so anything can happen. Today. Oh, I'm glad I'm at the start then. <laughs> yeah, you're the <laughs> I lucked in. But we've never met um, before. We, we've never met before. I, I don't think we have. I've done, I've definitely worked on a couple of the films that you've 
that you've worked on, projects you've worked on, but I don't think we've met. I was um I was talking about you with the wonderful Mr. George Clooney, actually. I did a thing for him for the BFI and we d- talked about kind of career stuff and we talked at length about Michael Clayton and in particular the closing scene in the taxi. And he he it was so wonderful to watch his face and the reaction when I brought that up and clearly just a really wonderful in terms of kind of, you know, moments in an actor's life that he remembers and he remembers kind of really detailed and, and really fondly of that. And we had one shot, we had one one go at it. And it was just like he said, it's just one of those moments that just came out so brilliantly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, well, uh, it's a fond memory for me as well, believe me. Yeah, great film. Um, thank you for Andor. It's so brilliant to get to chat to you about this and about a few other things, hopefully. But oh, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars kid. You know, I, it's, it's been, it's been my world. And what's wonderful is I've got two boys and getting to relive so much of that through them and using them as an excuse to watch it over and over again. But Andor is awesome. It's so, so great. Did you always, did you know back when you did? Um, Rogue One that this was going to happen did you have any indication that there was going to be an opportunity for you to to kind of give these characters a backstory and tell their story up to that point almost no not at all I mean Rogue was survival it was just a survival exercise you know uh, no there was no there was no future really at that point it was really just trying to get through it and make it work and hope it would work and, and uh, it was really uh like an all hands on deck kind of emergency for 10 months. So no, there was no, there was no, there was no yeah. anticipation whatsoever. There was a lot of relief and exhaustion at the end. How was it presented to you then? How did, how did this opportunity to, to create the series present itself? There was a lot of, there was a lot of good feeling after Rogue and there was a lot of excitement, you know, to win, we, you know, to win that big and, and to do something that was really different in a way. And so there was a lot of uh, discussion during that period of time about all the things that could happen with other with other films. Streaming really, it sounds so odd, but it, it's not that long ago, but it really wasn't a thing. You, we think about how mm-hmm. fast streaming has come upon us. And uh, there was a, you know, a lot of discussion about the different kinds of films that Star Wars could do and a lot of ambition about what those could be. Some of that was euphoria of the moment. And then it got supplanted by... You know, everybody got busy making the other films they were making, and I went off and do did other things. And they came back and they said, "Oh, we want to do a, we want to think we want to do a show about Cassie and Andor. We want to do the five year, five years before." And in the first conversation, there really there was no, there was no model for it. There was no economic model. How could you do it? It, it didn't seem interesting. They went and tried to do it. Someone did a very credible job of it. When they came back, it was really, it was very straight, and it was very. Um, was very economically limited. At that point, I made a, I made a sort of friend in court kind of critique for Kathy. I, I watched it and said, look, if you're going to do it, I think you should, if you're going to do it, you should do it like this. And I sent this mad, insane document out about what it had to be and why it had to be that way in my, mm. my inimitable, you know, some moment of confidence. And um, they were like, oh, that's too crazy for us. That's just too crazy for us. And uh, they tried again and again, but all the shows were limited. All the, the scope of the shows that they were trying, you know, money is an inhibitor. People were trying to fit into a box and it was Star Wars doesn't fit into a pretty small economic box. Mm-hmm. And, and um, by the time they came back around, streaming was really, um, 
the economics of streaming had gone completely the other way. And all of a sudden people were launching aircraft carriers all over the place. You know? <laughs> I mean, there's so much depth to all these characters and talk about a, a cast of thousands and a cast who can hold their weight. The performances by these actors in this, the scripts that you've written for them are brilliant. I mean, Denise Goff's character, I mean, she is just having so much fun with that character. She just, you can just see she's like, bring it on, let me at it. It's just, you've written some fantastic, really memorable characters. And Fiona Shaw, oh my, breaks my heart every time she's on screen. She's just, I never want her to not be on screen because she's so good. And yeah, it's. It, did you know who you were writing for at all? Did you know... I mean, obviously, but there was the previous characters that appeared in Rogue that were going to be in the odd one here and there. But, but was this a whole? You know, was were there any actors in mind for these or? No, and in the beginning, I was going to direct the first three. I was very naive when we started. I really didn't know, as experienced as I was and am, I I didn't really uh, fully respect how absolutely insane the entire thing would be. So I, we you know we did a writer's room and we had sort of our scripts kind of, and then I knew they were going to be rewritten, but we had enough to go and I was going to do one, two and three. So I was over there pre, right before COVID mm. prepping to direct for the spring or the summer. And I started meeting actors for the first block, um, a first block of three episodes and Nina Gold, who is, you know, just, you can just sing the gold a thousand times because Nina Gold <laughs> a huge part of our show and martin ware are the casting people of our show and you know they do the crown and they do thrones and they're just excellent mm. and um started seeing people come in and uh kyle solar came in and i'm like what was that you know <laughs> like yeah okay let's have that and they're like you're gonna cast well yeah let's cast them now denise goff i'd seen uh in a play uh, people places things that she did in London for 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 a couple of years. I think she did it. My yeah. wife saw that play one night, and we were just she's on stage the whole way through. And we went out for dinner afterwards. We're like, oh my god, she has to do that eight more times this week. She was so. And he just do you want to meet you know Denise Goff for Deborah? I'm like, okay. She comes in. It's like, oh my god, let's have that. So you know, you start you start scaring people when you start casting everybody right away. But at the yeah. same time, it, you start to go, oh my god, look what we have. And as it as it built up, as we built up our repertory company, and even as people came in for smaller parts uh, that were going to be in these early episodes, you know, it's kind of like being a musician in a way. I mean, you know, you know, if you're a good musician, you could pick, you could play on an attitude piano and you can make something happen. But man, if they give you a Steinway Grand and they put you in a concert hall, it, you know, you really play. And, and the ability to, um, the ability to keep stepping up the scenes and the, the, the ambitions and the, the possibilities because of the talent, it just, it's been an ongoing odyssey all the way through. It's just, it's just such a thrill to know, Oh my God, I really can go this far because mm. he really can do that. I mean, Anton Lesser in this show, you know, plays part of God. Yeah. I mean, he is carrying some heavy baggage for me. I mean, and watch how he does it. I mean, there's, a, I mean, that's, I'm just using him as one of the examples. I mean, there are, there are 30 people on the show that are doing the same thing, but, but that's just an example. Those scenes, you know, he's, he's carrying a lot of plot. He's moving a lot of story. He makes it go down. He, he makes everything exciting. That's a very, um, 
that's a very powerful tool to put on a writer's desk and you just mm. start writing better and you oh, start awesome. writing up you know Stellan Skarsgård as well kind of the, the kind of the joy yeah. that you... well that was a different wow. we that, that's we were we were very much going after Stellan from the beginning so that was a, a slightly different situation but um there's not many people that could play that part so there was a very short list um and, the, yeah, the, you don't, the you don't fun... read Stellan we weren't reading Stellan for the part <laughs> How, this is a weird question, right? But it's one mm -hmm. I've never, and I've been lucky enough to speak to quite a lot of people in the, in the Star Wars world, and and you know, and and Garth Edwards, I'm such a fan of as well. I think he's a a, yeah. a, a, a wonderful human. How do you come up with the names of the characters? It's just, I mean, there's a zone where names come easily, and there's been times I've struggled to come up with names. Sometimes somebody else comes. Most of them, I would say, uh, I would say I probably do most of them. Every now and then someone will come up. Dan Gilroy came up with Partagas. I remember that. There's other ones that people have come up with that we've stuck with. It's a free mental zone. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very, it is a, uh, and there's times I can just do it. And mm -hmm. products and, 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 and planets. And, and there's times where it's, you kind of go a little cold on it. You, do you do crossword puzzles? Sometimes I try. All right. Well, I mean, it's kind of the same. Anybody does crossword puzzles, it's the same mental thing. Like sometimes you'll be working on a puzzle and you'll be like, I can't, I'm not going to get this done. I can't do it. And you take a nap or you walk away. You, say, you come back and like three hours later, you're like, oh my God. And you just blitz through it. All of a sudden you're in the flow of it. There's a, there's some, um, there's some flow. And then also we have the ability to continually trade up. I mean, we've been making the show for three years. So as long as it's not committed to someone's mouth or something, there's people's names that, that I haven't really liked along the way that we've changed. <laughs> but also think of this. Every time, every time I come up with a name, and we had 200 speaking parts in the 12 episodes, 200 speaking parts, 190-something people. Wow. Somebody in Pinewood has to come up with a secret name for it because everything we do oh, has to be in secret. So there's a whole secret list. I, and I look at the secret list of the locations and the names, and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but there's a whole alternate list. Um, I quite like Cyril Karn. Cyril Karns, yeah. No, there's no, no. I'm very happy with. I'm very happy with most of them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're they're great. They were the like, Mon Mothma as well. It's kind of well, that that was baked in. That's legacy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that's that combination. But they've all got to fit in around each other as well. They can't just sound like some kind of random. It's got to feel real. It's got to feel part, and you know that it can be part of the galaxy. It's um, also practical if you're doing a scene and the character is only going to be in three scenes and you know that there's two other characters that have l's in their name you don't want to have an l you know it's like that it's literally like that mechanical yeah. and pronunciation sometimes as well people just can't say names sometimes yeah <laughs> um music wise how much when you're writing are you thinking about music and how involved were you in in the wonderful um nicholas Bratel being part of this project who i'm such a fan of He's an extraordinary creative and and yeah, I, uh, maestro. John Finkley was a music supervisor on Rogue One, and uh, and my brother John knows John Finkley from before they worked together. And I met John on 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 Rogue One, and John was very much promoting uh, for all future work. He'd been promoting Nick Bertel. He'd been working with him, and really just you know said, "Man, you got to hear this guy. You got to meet this guy. You got to work with this guy." Mm -hmm. And um, when we went to go do this, I mean, what do we know? We know we're going to 
change the lane on everything. We're going to change the tone of the show. We're going to change the vocabulary. We're going to change the possibilities. We're going to change everything about, about how Star Wars is done. And one of the things that we're going to have to do, we're going to have to step away from John Williams and make our own ground. So that was kind of known. We never really talked to anybody, but, you know, Nick, Nick, Nick kind of tiptoed in and we talked to, talked to him and he was into it. And um, very early on before we, um, uh, before we started shooting, before I, before I was even really finished in the midst of COVID, right at the beginning of COVID, there were some music demands for production that were pretty heavy. They haven't shown up yet in the show, but in the last couple episodes, the last episode, you'll see there's a big sequence where there's diegetic music. And um, that needed to be done because that was something that was going to be shot early. There's a very heavy, big, I mean, heavy, I mean, but it's just a big piece of meat, a big seven, eight minutes of music that needed to be um, worked out. That's how Nick and I met. We met working on the end of the show, trying to come up with this thing. And uh, we just had... It was just such a great, really restorative, just a great experience. But it was at the very beginning without any of the show having been shot. So we we did this whole big, and we, then we also did. Um, we have three pieces of music like that. We have the the banging and Ferrex, you know, the the warnings. Yeah. We and we have the stuff, all the things that the time grappler does. All those, you know, the guy with the hammers on the on the uh, who does the clock. Well, that's a whole thing unto itself as well. We made all the nine times or the eight times a day and did all that stuff beforehand and had all that in the bank. And we did the uh, Aldani. There was a more advanced Aldani um, chanting thing, but we we built that. But this other piece of music. So we had some things, to, artifacts to build beforehand. And then I didn't see him or, you know, I mean, I would talk to him periodically, but, you know, a year and a half goes by. And then all of a sudden I'm <laughs> back. And now I need seven hours of music. <laughs> great relationships with every composer on on every film it's really been uh it's been a really uh important part and uh, of, of of the movie making experience for me james newton howard we did clayton we did duplicity we did legacy what michael giacchino did on rogue was just insane yeah. and that's a whole that's an amazing story and so i really i was a musician uh i i, I spent a lot of time you know thinking about music and 
and, and trying to produce music and, and stuff like that. So I, I, come, I don't come as a, I come interested and humble, you know, but I also come mm -hmm. with a vocabulary that I've developed over time, you know, with working with really, with I mean, working with James Newton Howard on three pictures, you get a yeah. pretty good sense of, I mean, he's pretty, I mean, that's the state of the art. So I come with my my stuff, and and my God, Nick is just the most winning, hmm. willing, ambitious, fresh, playful, creative, you know, and accomplished person to collaborate with. We, I think, we both undersold to ourselves how much we were going to have to do. Yeah both got overwhelmed by what we were going to have to do. It was sort of just kind of the same way with the scripts and everything. It just kind of, just kind of like became clear to us. Oh my God, what have we gotten into? You know, by the time that, that that terror had had struck upon us, we were already having so much fun. We were like, "All right, we can get through this." And then, and then we just we just made such a good time out of it. To be honest with you, I mean, it was an, you know, it's an incredible amount of hard work and an incredible mm -hmm. amount of just sitting inside and doing this whole thing. And I didn't think I had that much more to learn. To be honest mm -hmm. with you, about about scoring. I thought uh, I even tried to write a movie about scoring. I, I thought I kind of knew everything you could know about it, short of being a musician. And I was, like I said, really humbled by not just the scope of what we had to do, but how much I learned during the process and how much we learned together and how exciting it was to to be like figuring out all this new shit that you're going to carry through the rest of your career. It's It was, it was just a, a great process. fact that you you said earlier about the fact that you had to kind of just you know all the John Williams stuff to one side you kind of had this blank canvas really in terms of musically was that liberating yeah I, yeah I'm a disruptive person so <laughs> no I mean that's my natural impulse on anything is to try to disrupt it and turn it inside out and what can I how can I make it something else mm. that's my first that's the that's the place I start no but but there but but what is it I mean, it literally is another, it's, 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 it's the equivalent of the blank page. It's like, okay, we're not doing that, but what are we doing? <laughs> and 
Then also, because we're not doing that, and we're being clear about it, not to be afraid of it, but but boy, oh boy, that, that takes certain vocabulary away from you. There are certain things that we, you know, we have to be very careful what we do with horns. We have to be very careful what we do with fanfares. We have to be very careful with some chord changes and things that we do that we don't, mm -hmm. that we don't trend, that you might even naturally, you know, in, in the vacuum, you might go in that direction, but we have to be, oh my God, we can't do that because people are going to say, oh, you're, you know, you're trying to quote or you're being nervous or you're, you're being shameless or whatever the thing was. But so we didn't know what we were going to get. And, um, and I think, I mean, for a really intimate baseball thing, I think in the beginning, also part of being humbled was we thought, like on a movie, we get a bunch of sounds and we and we get a bunch of themes and we get a vocabulary for it. And we'd be, you know, we'd be retasking those and building those and moving those around for the show. And we gradually realized, my God, we have all these characters, all these different flavors, <laughs> all these different worlds, all these different things. Everything really needed to be bespoke in some way. Mm. And this, even this, and the sounds as well. You know, the kind of the sounds of those different spaces that that quantify a different atmosphere, almost in a way as well. You know, whether you're on a whatever planet you're on, or whether you're in space, or what how you're traveling through space, all that kind of stuff as well. It's like it all has to, all has to blend, all has to kind of, all has to kind of almost hold hands with each other in a way. You know, between all the. Oh my God! Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't have to. I mean, a lot yeah. of people don't do it. But I happen to be, you know, I happen to be smart enough to uh, surround myself with really, I mean, that's what the thing that makes me look good is if I have all these great people and I'm old enough now to know who they are. So I have John Gilroy there, who's just an absolute sound freak and is, isn't just an editor by any means. He's a builder of films, right? It's a whole different job what he does. He edits, but it's just, a, it's an entire, it's an entire post production mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to do with sound. And we've been obsessed with sound. And he he brings his his mania and his obsession. As I said before, John Finkley, hugely important because we have to temp all these before we go to Nick. He, you know, even though Nick is on all the way through, uh, our temp scores are uh, super valuable for us for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, so we can really find out what works and what doesn't work. I can learn the cues. I can learn the track, all that. So I'll put that to the side. Then we have a whole sound, Skywalker sound department. We have Margit Pfeiffer, who was our dialogue editor, and then married her into the, the, the Skywalker sound team. And those people are, you know, they're as crazy as we are. And so if you can, 
if you can not only have all those people, some people fail because they don't get those people or they don't care. And then sometimes mm-hmm. people fail because they get all those people, but their people don't talk to each other or they don't like each other or there's a conflict or they're just not. But man, if you can harness all those people together into a, into a common dialogue where they're into it, where they're having conversations on their own without you having to, 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 to put them in the room and they're all pulling the same way. It, it's um, you end up with, you know, I'm very proud of our mixes and everything that we did. I mean, it's yeah. a bunch of really obsessive people <laughs> working for three years. episodes you know that's it's a lot of music it's a lot of dialogue it's a lot of it's a it's a lot of everything did it feel massive I mean it, it must have felt hugely different to working on a feature film in so many ways yeah it's that's not um it's not the same at all I mean this isn't the same nothing is the same I mean uh how you sell it how you build it how you pace yourself no, but I, I can honestly say, I mean, I really, I, I didn't respect or understand what I was taking on when I got into it. I didn't really understand how it was going to go and how and how much it was going to be. Um, now we have to do it one more time. <laughs> We're about to do it one more time. Yes. Now I know. I know. We're going to do it one more time. And then, uh, and then uh, wow. go up in the fetal position someplace. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you in that one more time? What process are you? We start shooting on in November. Oh my god! Wow. Oh no, I have. There's two directors at Pinewood right now in prep. Yeah, no, uh, Ari Ari Kleinman and 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 Janos Metz are are both in prep right now. We have the first two blocks are in prep, so everybody's working. We start shooting, and we're building a huge back lot and the whole thing. Well, this, this seems to be the kind of where where Andor is slightly different from some of the other Star Wars streaming projects that we've had is that the that they're being shot at pinewood that they're being that the sets are kind of real this amazing you know i've been obsessed with all the the brilliant stuff that's come out of over the last year few years you know mandalorian and all that watching all those behind the scenes little um features and stuff about how it's made and and you know that crazy wall that was built the kind of i don't know come out what it's called the volume yeah yeah and that and how much has been kind of shot there and stuff but this it feels like Andor is slightly different and it's almost like stepped into the real, try to create as much reality as possible for the sets and for the environments. Yeah, no, we're very much, no, you know, and in the first round of press that we did, everyone's trying to make a whole controversy between, oh, there's the volume shows and the, and the, you know, the, you guys shot on the thing and why didn't you use the volume? And it's, and it's, it's not like, these are all, um, these are all tools. I mean, yeah. You get to the point where you're just like, man, I'll do anything to get what I need, right? Like, how do I get what I need? 
So you don't really care. And the the volume, I mean, we're on, again, we're at the beginning stages of what that technology is going to be able to do. It's going to be amazing when they when they pull it all together. But the, the thing of it is, is that you have to design your show to be one or the other. I don't know. Maybe if you're Batman, probably Batman did. I think Greg Frazier did on Batman. People have been, there's been some places where people have a hybrid. It's easier mm-hmm. for a movie and it's easier if money doesn't matter. But we have to watch every penny that we have. And like our workflow is we shoot and then we post. In the volume workflow, you do all your posts first and then mm-hmm. you walk your actors into a set that's that's a simplistic way of putting it but you walk them into the post is done when you're shooting the actors you're kind of finished we don't have that system we can't change our it it just doesn't work for us and so you can't there's a lot of scenes that would probably have helped us out if we could have done it that way but we just you can't you can't all of a sudden turn into a vegan all you know or turn into a meat eater all of a sudden you know it's really it's it's a choice you have to make at the beginning yeah there's some parts of it you know, we use LED screens every now and then. There's little pieces of it that we use, but but the whole the whole the whole thing now we can't do it. Quite proud you filmed in Scotland. Yes. Yes, we did. Scotland. How was that? <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from the east coast, a little fishing village called Anstruther. Did they look after you? Uh it is amazing. I can't wait to go back when I'm not working. I was there <laughs> for a bit. I was too busy to even play golf or drink scotch. I was just, it was a blur for me. It is so beautiful and it is so tough to shoot. Yeah. It's brutal. <laughs> it is tough to shoot there. The weather <laughs> yeah. just really kicked our ass all the way through, but uh we got out and we're very happy with it, but so few things are what you think they're going to like the Scottish Highlands are really, you got to get there and you go like, Oh yeah, it had to look like this. This is how it had. <laughs> it, had to be, it really lives up to the hype. That is very cool. Yeah. The weather definitely added to the tension. Oh my in those God. Scenes. <laughs> oh my God. I will never go shoot there again. Oh my God. <laughs> um, listen, we're about to run out of time, but it's been, it's been really wonderful to get to chat to you. And we genuinely are really thrilled about the series and enjoying every minute of it. And, and I wish you all the best of luck for, for season two. And we can't wait to, to engulf it. So it's really brilliant to chat to you, Tony. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. From Nicholas Bertel score to Andor, that's ISB rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Tony Gilroy. Now, before I tell you very exciting news about who's next, a quick word from our friends at Harry's, who are not just masters of the perfect shave, but also perfect skincare. And in case you don't believe me, on either count, they're giving you the chance to try their products for no more than the price of delivery. So for just £3.95... Someone comes to your door laden with gifts. You get a five-blade cartridge crafted by artisans in their German factory, precision trimmer, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover, as well as a hydrating night lotion, which is alcohol-free and contains no sulfates, parabens or dyes. Sounds like a pretty good present idea to me, if you're bearing in mind it's that time of year. So why don't you start your free skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set 
either for you or a friend. All you do is pay £3.95 for delivery. Head to harrys.com forward slash sounds to get your free trial set and night lotion delivered to your door. That's harrys.com forward slash sounds. My huge thanks to Tony for taking the time to talk to us. You can watch Andor on Disney Plus right now, along with a whole host of other Star Wars treats. Head to edithbowman.com if you want to hear my chat with Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, Ludwig Gornson about The Mandalorian, or indeed Ron Howard about Solo. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do keep the emails coming in, info at edithbowman.com. Also, if you aren't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, channel please head over there now as I'm about to pop up a little special all about the Banshees of Inisherin, which features Mark McDonough, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson so that's on our YouTube channel just search for Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. Next up we have a bonus episode with the one and only the wonderful Ryan Coogler all about Wakanda forever which we are going to drop on Friday once Ludwig's score has been released. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs> 